Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical, actually every musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode 26. Our special guests are Josh Rhodes and Lee Wilkins. Hi, I'm sitting here in the Court Theater with Josh Rhodes and Lee Wilkins, the associate choreographer and choreographer of Bright Star. How Woo-hoo! are you guys? Good. We're so good. We're good. You're so good. So I'm going to start off by reading your credits. So Josh, <laughs> I have Fosse, Bells Are Ringing, Urban Cowboy, and Chicago as a performer. Am I missing something as a performer? <laughs> yes. I'm probably missing a lot as a performer. Uh, <laughs> sweet Small Success, Urban, uh, no, no, you said Urban Cowboy, Man of La Mancha, and Boy From Oz. Boy from Oz, yeah. nice. And then as uh, an associate or assistant, Drowsy Chaperone, as a choreographer, we have Cinderella, first date, your musical staging, Yeah. Uh, choreographer for It Should Have Been You, mm-hmm. and currently, Bright Star. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. So Lee, we have Kiss Me Kate, Wonderful Town, Spamalot, and Elf as a performer. Correct. As an associate, we have Cinderella, first date, it should have been you and currently Bright Star. Wow. Sound familiar. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> so you cause you guys work together, but you are also married, correct? Yes, we are. And how and long we're still you, married. You're so. still married. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the key. And how long have you guys been together? Uh, twenty years together, married for ten. Mm-hmm. And working together for sort of on and off for a while. Yeah, so it sort of started once I once I started. You know, it's funny. The first thing that we ever choreographed was Lee was the choreographer and I was his assistant. Really, I taught him everything I know. And he did. He taught me everything I know. I was I was actually really, god damn terrible. Uh, I was awful, and it's choreography freaked me out. And Lee actually is really good at. Um, he has a great system of breaking down music so that you just think of it section as opposed to a piece as a whole and, and it started to break open for me and then um, I was always creative and then once I figured out the technique of choreography I started to really dig it but it was actually started with Lee so it's uh, interesting uh, that so now we've sort of been working together for a long a for a long longer time, time than than it would seem because for what we met um, on a blind date that Kevin Covert set us up on yep. really yes yep. he'll be happy you're welcome Kevin Covert for mm-hmm. your shout out on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> um, he set us up when we were performers, and then um, we both came back to New York, and Josh's career took off as a performer, and mine sort of stalled out because I was sort of transitioning between being sort of a youthful dancer and then aging into more of a, an older look. So it was tricky to, you know, to book work. So that's when I started to do more of the choreography stuff, and then, um, then when I started to work more in New York, Josh was transitioning into choreography, and then we sort of switched, switched roles. Yeah. I like that. Well, because I remember when you guys got married, because it was, to me, it was a big deal, because it was really one of the first people I knew that got married, and I was like, I, when you had the reception here in New York, I was like, I have to go, because this is a awesome. It was a rarity at the time. So yeah. yeah. And now everyone has them, and I'm like, are they really in love, or are they just doing it because it's legal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were really crazy enough to actually just do it. We I were, know. We weren't going to wait for a law. We I decided know. it's time. We're going to get married in front of our family and friends, and we did it. That's just great. So where are you from and how'd you get started? I'm from Illinois, uh, Decatur, Illinois. I started dancing at uh, Millican University in Decatur had a prep department, which means, you know, it's a university, but the teachers there will also teach like 
uh, kids from the community in, during the day or during the evening. And an amazing teacher uh, named Gary Shaw uh, became my mentor. And I danced and danced, and he could tell I just loved it beyond just wanting to take class. And he would send me home with albums and cassette tapes, and I just, that's where I got to know Sondheim, and that's where I got to know all these beautiful musicals he'd send me home with, because uh, he had this amazing collection. And then, so that sort of uh, was years of dance, and then I had another teacher, because I think we all get to where we get, get because of uh, mentors. And yes. I had Gary Shaw, and I had Maria Klopp, and she was my voice teacher, piano teacher. And the same thing, she was send me home with a little night music, and send me home with company, and and send me home with Candide, and it was literally like I had these two lovers of theater who just schooled me in the middle of like the cornfield. In the middle of the cornfields, <laughs> I was. It's I, crazy that you found them. I found them, and they we all found each other, and we all had this love of theater, and it's what we talked about. It's what we it's what we loved. It's what we desired. So they loved sharing it with me. Um, so I was incredibly gifted to have these two people lift me up and actually push me out of Decatur. Like Maria got me an application. She, I knew this is before you could just like <laughs> go to the, on the computer and get things. Yeah. Some, I showed up to a voice lesson and she had the application to the University of Michigan. And she said, this is where you're gonna go. And you need these songs, you need to fill this form out. And she just, she basically like put the pen in my hand and got me out of Decatur. Uh, she said, you can't be here, you need to go. And I did. I got. I got. Was accepted, and I went to University of Michigan. And as soon as I graduated, I moved here. And uh, I just. I, I guess so. Basically, what they gave me was just a love of, the form, right. And I didn't care really how I was involved. That's the interesting thing that I'm a choreographer now. Is I always loved it, and just wanted to be a part of it. And they taught me that at a very very early age. That's great. How about you, Lee? Sort of, a, sort of a similar story in that... Um, Cornfield? Cornfield, <laughs> a very small town called Verona, Wisconsin. Cheese curds. A lot of cheese curds. <laughs> but a lot of cows, too. Our town didn't even have a stoplight when I was growing up. It, it stop signs. <clears throat> My graduating class was 169 people. So it was a really small thing. And what was cool about it was that, um, you know, being that there were only so many people available to do the musicals, you got to do them. Like, you didn't have to really worry about auditioning and not getting in them. So I got to do the musicals and got to be involved in all that kind of stuff at school. Um, and then so, sort of a similar situation with a mentor. Um, I wanted to get into a group called the Kids from Wisconsin, which was a touring group during the summer, which was kind of like sort of a, a gifted and talented or whatever group from all over the state. They uh, People auditioned and they got to come down to Milwaukee and learn a show and then it toured around during the summer. And I wanted to get into that group because I had seen it every year and uh, wanted to be a part of it. And I auditioned and they said that I was good but my dancing wasn't strong enough. So I was like, all right. So <clears throat> just by chance, um, in a strip mall where I would go to my orthodontist, there was a dance teacher who had a school there. And my mom was like, well, maybe we should take dance classes. There's a dance teacher right here. And it turns out that woman and another woman who worked for her who taught ballet um, were the two that really taught me you know everything I, I needed to know to get into that group but that also gave me the same sort of wings to fly that, mm -hmm. that Josh had um, uh, and you know it was a competition school so I learned you know that whole the tricks and all that kind <laughs> of stuff too <laughs> High but, kicks. But, but really really intense um, 
technique because the ballet teacher, as it turned out, he had was amazing technique from his teacher. Oh, oh, she was, so yeah, good. it was, and again, it was like, I don't know how, you know, you find these people. A, a bit of Bright Star is about that, in that what we found with the show was um, the ensemble serves as sort of the fates of the story, and they push the story along. Um, and it's that kind of thing that we found those people in our lives, the little fate pushed us along, those little angels like push you to the, in the direction you need to go. And um, she was a ballet teacher, or she's a ballet dancer here in New York, and she was dancing with um, uh, one of the ballet companies here in the city, and it was at the time when Baryshnikov was um, defecting, and she was assigned to be next to him at all times, just to have someone on his arm and be with him all the time. Um, and at the time, they wanted it to be a woman so that he, you know, would not appear to be gay or whatever. And um, and he's not gay. Um, and so, you know, she was doing that whole thing in New York City. Then her father took ill, so she moved home to take care of him and gave up her career in New York. And so then was looking for work and was teaching at this dance studio. And so here's this incredibly, you know, proficient ballet dancer um, in the middle of Wisconsin. And she saw that I had an interest in it, and she would take myself and my, the other very talented girl that was in the school, and she would just teach us partnering and combinations and stuff from classical ballets on the weekend, because we would want to come in. And she was like, well, yeah, I'll come in, and, you know, I'll teach you whatever you want to learn. And so I actually learned how to partner from her and learn ballet technique hey, from her. Hey, sorry, I'm in your way. And it was, um, it was one of those things that, uh, I don't know how I got so lucky to have that person, you know, that was willing to see a talent that she wanted to, to help with. Um, and then from there, then I went um, to Point Park University and um, again, worked more on musical theater and, uh, and all that kind of stuff and then started moving to New York, ideas of moving to New York and then touring and all that stuff. Oh, that's great. So Josh, you made your Broadway debut in Fosse, which is... Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, I loved and I saw twice. The stories I hear from Fosse that there's thrilling, exhausting, and then also it wrecked people's brains and uh, their heads and their uh, emotions and ego. How was that for you as oh well? Oh, God, yes. All of the above. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was the greatest, hardest time of my life. Um, I, I tell everybody when I, I was also in the original Broadway cast, I was a swing. So oh, gosh. I covered every male and that was the live event contract you had to cover just all the men just period and it was I, I told people it's like I went to grad school because the effort that went in it was a it was a real 24-hour existence you had to sort of go through your you always had to sort of go through your tracks before you go to bed you wake up you go through your tracks you you there, there was never a, a dull moment where you had to uh, stop working and and this was also old school, like the workshop of this. I did the workshop out of town with brilliant people like Andy Blankenbuehler and, um, and Sergio Trujillo and uh, Marianne Lamb and all these amazing, Scott Wise. And it was old school where you'd show up and the cast list was different every day. and You'd have a feature one day and it was taken away from you the next. And um, it strangely did not breed animosity towards each other, but it just meant we were all fighting for that Broadway contract. We all wanted it so mm. badly, but they kept dangling it in front of our face like a carrot. And um, having not had a Broadway show, oh man, I wanted it so badly. I worked so hard. We had company class every day. I danced like a crazy person all day long. And uh, I, 
at the end of it, I'm so grateful for it because it made me the dancer that allowed me to have a, a very nice career in New York. But man, it was hard. It was a lot of work. Um, it was, it tested a lot of my emotional boundaries that I'd never really pushed before. Um, it, it, it also allowed me to understand what it's like to, to experience complete fear, uh, to be a swing in that show, at the top of the show before it started and you think about what you had to accomplish in how many giant group numbers you had to like somehow not kill anyone and still look like a Broadway dancer. <laughs> I remember, I know I, s I remember being backstage and experiencing so uh, such unbelievable numbing fear. And I used to think, I used to equate it to, it's like someone put a bonfire in front of me and said, you have to walk through that. And it felt like that. I'd just go, no, I don't want to do this. But you know what? I learned how to face my fears, walk through that fire, and get on that damn stage. And it ended up being one of the greatest experiences of my life because I conquered it. And I felt so great. I felt so secure in myself. And I felt cocky in all the right ways yeah. after it. It gave me confidence. It gave me technique. Uh, it, was a cr it was a crazy experience. And you know, though, to this day, those people in that show are some of my dearest, loveliest friends. It's, I see them and it's like not a day has passed. Oh, yeah, because you went through a, a, we went a, through a hell birth together. and a war together. Yeah. yeah, it was great. It was great. It really was my grad program. Yeah, absolutely. So, Lee, your Broadway debut was with Kathleen Marshall yes, uh, with uh, Wonderful Town and then started with Kiss Me Kate. Kiss Me Kate first, yeah. But I remember you saying at one point that you didn't think Broadway was going to happen for you. Yeah, no, and it's very what, true. And what kept you going and knowing that it was? Um, you know, it was, it was one of those things that I came out of school and um, had all the technique that I needed to go perform and whatever. Um, and so then I started working. I did Cats, which made sense because it was a dance show. And then I moved to New York, and suddenly I was one of many, many, many people, most of who were taller than me. Mm. So it became sort of an interesting thing of how to fit into that group at a time when Will Rogers' Follies was popular and all of those shows that sort of were using very, very tall chorus men. And um, I gave myself sort of a, a, a milestone of like, oh, well, I, I really want to be on Broadway before I'm 30, and if I'm not, I've got to really reconsider or do something else. And um, it was one of those things that I knew uh, Kathleen Marshall and the Marshall family because of Pittsburgh, because I went to school there, and they would come, um, you know, this is pre-all pre of their success, um, they would come back to their hometown and they would direct and choreograph stuff for the shows and they would do stuff for the, the college. And so I knew Kathleen and then auditioned for her uh, here in New York. And then when they needed an emergency replacement for, um, for Kiss Me Kate, I fit the clothes. And it was one of those things that was like, oh, the height isn't necessarily a detriment. It just has to be right. Like, it, you know, I'm not going to be up for roles that are six feet tall and right. that kind of thing. But when the opportunities come, the height is going to actually be right. And every job that I got after that, actually, Wonderful Town, the same thing. I replaced a guy and I had to fit his costumes. So that's how that worked. And again, that was Kathleen Marshall after working for, for her in Kiss Me Kate. Um, and then uh, it was just one of those things that I think once you have a couple of uh, you know, experiences on Broadway or something on your resume, you sort of have a little bit more clout and it becomes a little bit easier to become, you know, either an original cast or, you know, with Spamalot as a, as a, um, as a swing <coughs> because I knew Casey. So it became more about 
less about um, me being short or tall, but more about having a resume of work and people that I'd worked with. And it didn't change your talent. You just now it says you were in a Broadway show. Right. That's what's so a little interesting. Bit. Yeah. And so much of it is about, you know, now that we're casting stuff, you're always going to cast somebody you know over somebody you don't know. You just always are, just because so much of the, like with Fosse, going through the fire of putting a show together is all about the personalities of the people. And you want the people in the room that you know have your back and you know sort of what to expect from them. Because at some point, there's a talent level in New York that sort of everybody is the same ability. Not same, but everybody's very qualified. Yeah. But there comes a point when you want people in the room that you know and trust. Yeah. No, that makes complete sense. So Josh, with shows like Fosse and Boys From Oz and Chicago, which are big <laughs> hits, you also had uh, Bells Are Ringing and Urban Cowboy. How does that affect your confidence in your psyche when you're, you put everything into it and it's not well received? Oh, oh it's never fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, people always, we were talking about this yesterday, a lot of people when you don't enjoy a show, you get angry at the creative people and you get angry at the actors um, when you're watching it as if it was their goal to ruin their evening. <laughs> but trust me, when you're in the middle of it as an actor or any or creating it, you're, you're, you're scrambling and what you want more than anything is to solve the equation and to make this happen. And uh, all, even though br uh, both of those projects were not successful, I know everyone did everything in their power to make the material rise to the occasion, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's just not meant to be, yeah. <laughs> and um, that you can blame it on a million things. Um, <clears throat> and it's uh, a musical is a house of cards, and sometimes it, if something if there's a foundation that just can't be built, you cannot get that house of cards up. You just can't. Yeah. Um, whether it's the, if it's just basically in the DNA of the show, if the book yeah. just isn't a good story to tell on stage. Or it could be the greatest story ever and it just doesn't commercially sell. It just yeah. doesn't, or it just doesn't commercially sell, know. you know? Yeah, sometimes so the, the economy, people want glitz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've had to it's say goodbye to some time. beautiful little gems of things that I go, God, there was a time when I first moved to the theater that I actually think first date would have sold very well and been a, a beautiful little yeah. small musical comedy. Yeah. But somehow it should now have been with you, tickets, the same thing. It should have yeah. been you the same thing, but now with tickets so expensive, I get it. It's sort of it, it, it just we, it's a different climate than it was in the nineties. And I, I think I look at those shows and I actually thought they were quite wonderful musical comedies, but if you're spending hundred and seventy five dollars yeah. it's really putting a lot on that that very beautiful light story. Yeah. And it's, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I just understand uh, it's hard for those things to sell. But I guess to, for my psyche, though, I tried my best to always just learn from every experience. And even if they, even if they failed uh, financially, I always learned something from, I learned a lot from Bells Are Ringing, good Lord. Because um, that was a crazy experience. Because Tina Landau, just tried her damnedest to just throw everything up in the air mm. and we just kept changing it up until the, I remember we changed a production number at literally five minutes we were changing the choreography up to five minutes where they kicked us off stage and the New York Times was coming in it was literally one of those things where they were like you we have to get off stage and I'm like wait but the accent should be on five and eight and oh we were just gosh. literally we were doing everything in our power to try to make that show work and uh and I learned that you have to stick to it. You can never give up. 
and uh, actually from the f I have to say from the flops I learned more I learned more about the flops of how to put up a musical than I did from the mm -hmm. successes. Absolutely. Uh, I think I'm able to be a choreographer to this day because I was a swing and in and on stage in a couple of Broadway flops and that, that experience was incredible because you had to, and you guys know, as, as ensemble members, you have to watch, you watch and you sort of judge, you go, God, I think they should do this. I think we're losing her story. I think right, what we yes. need, I think that number yeah. might be too long. And what it does is it gives you a, a critical eye, an analytical eye, but it's not a, a it's not a negative critical eye because you want the show to succeed. Right. That's the difference because yeah. it's easy to go to a show and go, that's awful. But it's different to be critical in constructive. Mm. Like, how do you do that? Like, watch a show and do that. Like, that's how you should watch shows if you really want to be in the business. And um, that I feel like you learn that when you're in a show because you want it to succeed. Yeah, I agree. I think, Lee, one of my favorite things about a long-running show is dressing room camaraderie. Uh, <laughs> because it's, it's, it's... Shenanigans? It's shenanigans. And we shared a dressing room for three years. And I think it's amazing that even if you don't like the person that you share a dressing room with, you know everything about them. Yeah. You know <laughs> like, how their Good day and is. Bad. Yes, and I just think that that is so great. And it's honestly the, the one of the things that I really miss about not performing because I love being creative and being part of the creative process of constructing a show and being a part of that side. But we have no dressing room. But we have no dressing room. And once yeah. you get the show up and running, you leave. You don't get to like spend the time with these people. Yeah, and people are kind of scared of the creative team. They don't want to like well, bond yeah. with them and be friends with them. And there needs to be a little bit of a professional separation, a little bit, because you sometimes have to be, you know, a little bit tough sometimes. You don't want to be having drinks and, you know. That's true, I guess. Divulging too much. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, you go through everything with them, and good and bad. Like you know, sitting next to, to um, well, sitting next to uh, you, going through your whole process of three years yes. during Spamla, and Thomas Canizero going through, you know, their children and all of that, and finding out, you know, oh, she's delivering a baby right now. Get out of your clothes and go home. Yeah. Like you know, it's those life moments that you share with people in a dressing room. It's like amazing. That. And good and bad, like, you know, you get in arguments with people, too. Oh, and yeah. And it's, it's like, it's more of a family dynamic than a work dynamic, because, you know, people, Absolutely. people you're, you know, you're get under thrown under the bus. <laughs> you're welcome, Kevin Colbert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Josh, both of uh, you and I have done either an out-of-town trial or a workshop of a show, and then when it transferred to Broadway, we didn't go with it. <laughs> uh, 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 and it, it was, it's devastating. Uh, and I mean, how did you deal with that? And then also, but now that you're a choreographer, you can see how that happens and understand it more. So, yeah, I, I um, yeah, I was a show that we did. Uh, we did a workshop. I could say what it is, right? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, it is. It was Thou Shalt Not. <laughs> um, um, and I was in the workshop, and I was the only man not asked back. No, the, no, who was the other? Well, Neil Patrick Harris, but well, he was a principal. Company. <laughs> but he was a principal. He was a principal. That happens all the time. But no, no, but no, no. Neil and I were were let go, and I have to say, it was absolutely devastating. Yep. It was because uh, we were. And here's the thing: no one called me. No one. I had to call Tara Rubin Casting and say, "Hey, all the." All the um, all the phone calls came out. Uh, I just want to know, uh, am I gonna get one? 
Uh, we'll have Tara call you back. She never called. <gasps> no one ever called. No one from the creative team called. No one. So I was left for the the, the worst part was the was the worst part was the humiliation of waiting for a couple weeks, coming up with crazy scenarios of like, oh, well, yeah. maybe uh, maybe there. I don't. You you uh. really think of a million things, and pretty soon you're like, I'm not getting this show. Yes. And. You know, and every I tell I tell the story to people. People go, "Oh, that show flopped," and I'm like, "Yeah, but you know what? At the time, it still hurt." Oh, it was yeah, yeah. You don't and know, you, you don't went know. and saw the show and saw your exact track. Like you just saw yourself replaced. Yeah, it wasn't see, like yeah. it wasn't like you were replaced by you know. Yeah, it's not like a, a blonde woman, right? <laughs> like <laughs> right. replace me? No, I was replaced, and and they have every obligation to do they, there's nothing that they did wrong it's just that it was tough it was yeah. tough to take and rejection is hard but you know um, and they say like what I'm going through they're like it's not about you it's not personal but it is you know it is it is it for it you it is yeah. absolutely personal what show they did you do that you're like, you're nope. like, you're like let's not do it <laughs> no 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 we're not going to do this <laughs> <laughs> but here's oh <laughs> here's what I did learn from it on the other side is in Cinderella, as the choreographer, I had to make some tough decisions after we, we thought we were going to go one way with the show, and I had to make a significant change from the workshop to the production. And, um, and there were people who helped me out with my dance lab, amazing people who unfortunately were not given the okay from the music department, and all these people who I would have loved to have been in the show. And then some other people who I would have loved to have been in the show, and I thought that I could make it work with because they were such great singers but they weren't the best dancers um, but I had to make that call for the show to say you know what I think I, the show is turning out to be a bigger ballet experience um, and, and we have to go another way and I had to and I've thought of my thou shalt not experience and I got on the phone put on my big boy pants and I called every single one of those people and some of, I let some of them get mad at me, and some of them completely understood. Yeah. But everyone was grateful that I called them. And I learned from that um, that somebody from the team has to make a call whenever that happens. I just think yeah. it just puts them to, it allows them to have a process. Because, you know. Because, like you said, it is personal. It is personal. Yeah, it feels personal. And you don't owe them a job necessarily, but you do owe them the chance to have any kind of explanation so they can have closure. Right. Mm -hmm. That is that I think is key. Yeah. So they're not waiting for Tara Rubin to come. That's so God. I hope I haven't failed uh, and done that with someone. Anyway, amazing. you haven't. Ooh, I love sound yeah. check. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so with uh, with Elf, you actually uh, got to use your high to advantage. Not saying that you're an elf. <laughs> so I swear I didn't call you an elf. But listen, um, <laughs> it helped. So how was that experience? Like, because it was your first time you were creating a show from scratch as a performer. Yeah, it was the it was one of those goals that I had that that it was. Uh, I wanted to be on an, uh, an original cast album. I wanted to be an original cast member. I wanted to dance in the Macy's Day Parade, and I wanted to perform on the Tonys. Those were the four big, big goals. And have you those, done them all? I checked them all off. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. He did. And it was one of those things that, again, going back to the kid in Wisconsin, those were sort of the things that I had contact with. I could watch the Macy's Parade, the Tonys. Um, you know, a, a cast album and that kind of thing, and I sort of, I guess, knew what an opening night was, but it became that thing that I, I loved the experience of being a replacement, but I always had that thing I wanted to do with the original company. And so with Elf, I actually got to do it from the very first reading. I liked it for the very, very beginning um, through both productions here in New York, and it was one of those things that I got to check off, but it was, 
it was one of those things that um, when you're an original company member, you actually go in for your fitting and they build the clothes on you for your costumes. And oh. it's, it's like completely built on you rather than going in and having adjustments made to somebody else's clothes. Tell them about Greg Barnes. Oh, that was one of the greatest experiences. So we were sort of, you know, trying to figure out how the clothes Greg Barnes work. is a fan of this podcast. Well, hi. Hi, yeah. Greg Barnes. I'm going to interview him about costuming the ensemble. We have, well, you You're know, my favorite. But we have a Greg Barnes original painting, which anybody, everybody should know that Greg Barnes paints the most incredible costume sketches. They're, they're works of art. They're hand-painted drawings of you in your costume it's incredible so anyway we have one we have one because during elf they had to kind of have a guinea pig for who would kind of make the prototypes of the costumes and stuff and and um it was something that i had always wanted to do to have clothes built for me so for some reason i guess they found that out or knew it or whatever well, you would you would talk to greg about it and, and greg loved Here's the thing, Greg also said that a lot of actors show up late and they're sort of, they, they sort of are over the, the concept of a, of a fitting. And you can count on your fingers the times in your life where someone will make a custom costume for you. Yes. Yeah. It is literally one of those gifts that come from the theater gods and those moments you should cherish. Yeah. And Lee was cherishing it and he sensed that. Yeah. And so he said, well, you know, we need someone to be the guinea pig, but you have to stand there while we sort of figure out what the design is. Sign. He said, so Lee was like, there with bells on. Literally yeah. bells on. Literally bells. <laughs> and so then for opening night, he gave me the sketch of me in the elf costume that I helped him, you know. Oh, that's sort of great. I was just looking at that today, actually thinking of how special that is yeah. that we have that. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it was, it was, and it was one of those things that that was sort of a piece of that dream of wanting to do the original company, and I really got the whole experience because I got to be a part of that costume side. I got to be a part of, <clears throat> you know, with with um, Casey and workshopping a little bit of the ice skating and all that kind of stuff because of being from Wisconsin, I was an ice skater, so you know, I got the full experience of you know workshopping a new show. Um, and I can joke with you about being an elf because I'm really not that much taller than you. <laughs> so, and, and, it's, and it's interesting that like, it's been a, a con and a pro yep. to me, but like now that I'm getting a little older, it's much more of a pro. Yep. But when you're trying, like I moved here a little bit after you, it wasn't Will Rogers Follows, but everyone was, was yep. tall. Yep, and all the shows wanted tall chorus boys. And then it's nice when they're like, we want chorus boys, but we want them to be characters. Yep. Those are the shows I ended up doing. So it, you know, it, and we, it was—it's what we were talking about earlier. That Broadway's a little bit um, not cyclical so much, but it is sort of like it goes through phases where you know you, the the choreographers and directors that are sort of working at the time or whatever for whatever reason, a lot of shows need a certain kind of people, and those become the working uh, casts. And so then, then things switch. Then all of a sudden, there's a there's a show called Hairspray that comes along, and suddenly like everybody has to be shorter and youthful and and young and right. that, that kind of dancer. And then all of a sudden, you know, like a Casey Nicolau comes along, and he likes to see a bunch of just real people on stage. So all of those people start to work for a little bit. Well, you know, it sort of it goes through phases. And and luckily, I happen to hit the end of the tall Will Rogers phase, and it sort of phased out. And then suddenly, more of the the character, kind of younger character guys came along. Thank goodness. No. Thank goodness. So, Josh, did you, was there a turning point when you were like, I'm done performing, you've done seven, eight Broadway shows, and you're, did you know, now I'm gonna become an associate and choreograph, or was it natural? I, it, you know, it, it just naturally started to happen. I, uh, it started because I was a swing dance captain a lot. And then uh, 
I started to become that person in the room where people kept going, hey, you, will you assist me on this? Will you help mm. me on this? And I started to become the assist. I was assistant on Harmony the Musical. And then I went, did pre-production with Casey Nicola for Bye Bye Birdie at Encores. And I was just like... I was in that. I was just like helping him out. Yeah. And, and I guess I was sitting running around the room going, hey, we could do this. Or I guess what well, we could do this. And, and he <laughs> called me out of the blue and said, hey, I'm going to direct and choreograph my first musical, and I want you to be my assistant. And then I said, and he said, it's called Drowsy Chaperone. And I remember thinking, well, that's a dumb title. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, that's, what really, that's what really changed my career, because then um, where I was being creative on the side and helping people, um, it really helped me become uh, a choreographer because then once you have a credit like that then people start wanting you to choreograph mm. for them and then uh, for me what made me stop performing though is I just kept getting work as a as a choreographer and I was in the musical Chicago and they were so n nice and they were nice enough to let me out of my con out of my contract to go away for four weeks to choreograph things and I kept putting in for leaves of absence and then finally, Walter Bobby, the director of Bright Star, is the one who actually pushed me out the door. He called me one day out of the blue and said, Josh, Walter Bobby. I said, well, hi. And he said, uh, he said you got to go. <laughs> you got to go. He goes, I can't keep giving you leaves of absence to choreograph because it's time for you to be a choreographer. And I thought, oh, shit. Because there was this great comfort that I had to always go back to my Broadway show. It was, oh, absolutely. It was... It was it really allowed me to sort of kind of dabble <laughs> for a while. Yes. For quite a few years yeah. I was able to dabble as a choreographer. And he said, you're not going to be able to do it until you actually call yourself a choreographer. And he was mm -hmm. dead right. I, I gave up my contract at, at Chicago, which felt like the dumbest thing anybody could ever do. And my career took off because I was actually available. I was emotionally available to actually take any job yeah. that came my way. And you I became, I made yeah. space and all of a sudden I could take any job good or bad and I became and I choreographed year round and that's really what you have to do in order to be good as well so oh that's great and you did a little stint as a casting director recently for Paramore well no it wasn't casting director so much but I was brought in for Paramore because uh, it was a fantastic experience actually the, the, the director choreographer for Cirque du Soleil um, is from uh, France and so wasn't familiar with how to hold an audition and and the casting director smartly enough knew that he probably needed a bridge kind of oh, for okay. people so that they could hold sort of a Broadway style audition and yet still give him what he needed to see and um, it was an incredible experience because I'd never worked with this man before and um, he's like wildly creative um, and so it was just a matter of making sure the combination was taught partly because he speaks French you know primarily right <coughs> you're fluent um, in French Fluent, yeah, no. <laughs> and uh, and it was being you know the, the audition was you know, all the Broadway dancers were coming, so it had to be something that was going to make them look good because we had to hire you know dance talent like that that could also sing, but we also wanted to make sure that they felt comfortable and and um, it was it was a cool experience because I've never been a part of something um, or someone like that 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 has that kind of creativity and specific needs and. People would come in, you know, because it's a Cirque du Soleil audition. We had Broadway dancers, but we also had people that, you know, were ready to light themselves on fire or rollerblade wow. on, you know, glass. And it was fascinating to see that world 
for a second. Um, and so then I just helped him with the auditions and, you know, kind of made sure everybody danced well and learned the combination. And, and, and um, he ended up finding the people he wanted that could do both um, the singing and dancing because uh, in prior shows that he had done, they were just, you know, specifically dancers. Right. So it was a little trickier for him to understand that there's a a very limited amount of people that can actually do what he wants them to do dance-wise, but also be able to sing. And then light themselves on fire. And light themselves wow. on fire. Yeah. No, and it's, it's interesting because a lot of the people, like, you know, that got cast had special skills, circus skills on the side. Like, they're, oh, I do aerial work, or, oh, I can juggle, or whatever. But they literally went into, like, Cirque du Soleil training. Like, they took them to a warehouse and um, put the show together for three months and slowly sort of trained them in ways that they could supplement the, the artists that do just those things. Just That's crazy. Things. But we have friends that are, you know, soaring in their, in their surface skills because they sort of saw a talent in them and they're like, oh, I can teach you how to do a hand balancing act or something like that. Wow. And so now not only are they the dancers, singers that were hired, but they also now are, are aerial artists or, you know, circ artists. So what is the biggest mistake or biggest plus that you see people do in auditions? Mm. Um, I know, for, for me, dancers have a, t have a mentality and a tendency to try to always do it right, or think that that's what's going to get them the job, that they oh. do dance steps right. And like I said earlier, there's a level of people in New York City that are all at a certain talent level. So doing it right is sort of almost an expectation, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost a given at some point. So if you're just doing it right and that's all you're doing, you're not actually showing anything in an audition. It's the people that can go beyond what the dance steps are and, and show themselves and their personality and their, you know, their ability to be an actor while they dance that's much more something that makes them pop out in an audition. Yeah. I agree. I, I guess for me, I'm always looking for the people who are, have amazing right. technique. No. <laughs> I, no, no, yes. I'm looking for the people who do it right. <laughs> I'm always looking for those people who look like dancing's great, brings great joy. Mm. Meaning, I really am not a big fan of the big cheesy smile and mm. a lot of like big faces. But I love those people who just look like dance is. They 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 have the strong enough technique that it's not a big deal to get from one place to the next. So that dance just becomes an expression of their life, and I, those people, when they come walk in the room, I'm always taken by them. The the sort of the Lisa Guidas of the world, those yes. people who mm -hmm. just have a, she's not a real like hard sell of any sort of one emotion, but right. she dances like dance is part she of loves her. It. Absolutely. Soul. And um, whenever I see women dance like that, I always think of Guida and, yeah. and, and the Marianne Lambs of the world, and and. Uh, those people will always attract me. Yes, I completely you know, agree. I, I love them. I think when, when people come in for the director, I think uh, I think preparation is always so sad when people aren't prepared um, because mm -hmm. I've seen some really talented people, um, dancers especially, like get pushed away from the direct by the director or the music director because of preparation. Uh, I, I think that. These people are living this musical. They are only thinking of this musical, and they're they're about to like be handed a, a twelve million dollar property, and from the producers. And so when an actor comes in and sort of barely knows the script, and they're not making any other choices because they just sort of 
read it a few times with their friend. I always feel bad for them because I go, I sort of go, you don't understand, this director is stressed about $12 million on their shoulder, and if you can't show him something of a product. And give him confidence. And give him confidence to hire you, he or she will not. Right. And I always, and and I've seen some people fail Yep. Because they just didn't put the work into it, and I, I always feel bad about that. And I also understand people are busy. I get it. You can have nine auditions in a week, and it's a lot of sides. Um, but I do have to say, I've seen people lose jobs because of it. Mm. Well, speaking of a lot of money, Cinderella was glorious and looked like a, a lot of money. Um, but I really, really loved every second of it. I loved the storyline. I w- first I was like, why'd she leave the shoe? Why'd she grab the shoe at the <laughs> end? What's she doing? Well, I was like, Douglas Carter what? what are you doing? I, and I was sitting with the little girl at the end of act one and both of us were like, <gasps> what's happening? Like, that's different. <laughs> Which just made me laugh that I was bonding with the little girl. But I was seeing Cinderella. Uh, but how, how different was it like in your idea of like, I'm creating this ensemble to what you ended up with? Um, you know, well, what I started with was at a reading, Douglas Carter Bean and Mark Brokaw, the director, and Douglas Carter Bean, the writer, came up to me and said, help us find the ensemble. Because at the reading, the ensemble did Princess Giving a Ball, and they did the, uh, they did the ball. Oh, clearly, they were in the ball. And that was it. They didn't have anything for the ensemble in Act Two. So... Lee and I took the script and we just kept and we kept thinking of what we could do with the ensemble and then Mark and Robin Goodman the producer and Jill Furman uh, gave us a, a room and dancers and that's when we we created the stepsisters lament with all the girls mm. and her and then we found an idea in act two um, I thought I thought, well, here's a story point that no one ever talks about: is how did Cinderella get home? We always know, we always know that we <laughs> see the image of her going down the stairs in the shoe, and then she's just magically home. And we thought, what if we danced her getting home, and all of it, the the magic in reverse, where the pumpkin goes back, oh. the carriage goes back to a pumpkin, the the footman and the driver turn back into a fox and the raccoon, and then her dress goes. Yeah. And so we created that, what was called the pursuit. So with David Chase, our dance arranger, we created that. And so slowly but surely, what we did is we took Doug's beautiful script and we sort of crafted moments for the ensemble in it so that the ensemble had uh, a say in the story. And uh, it was cool. So what we ended with and still have on the road, I think is a really cool ensemble show. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we love to do. We love to like work with, with um, like with Bright Star. Yeah, the nice ensemble story. is not on the page. Everybody is, is a fan of ensemble work, but it's not on the page and it's hard to write in when you really just want to concentrate on the principal story. But what, what we love to do is look at the story and go, you know, we can tell this with the ensemble. We can push this forward with the ensemble. We, we gave the ensemble a voice here. If we gave them a few lyrics here, if we gave them a few lines here, this all would actually be enhanced by using the ensemble. And, uh, that's what we found with Bright Star as well. Yeah, well, I completely agree. Some of the work that you did in Bright Star was some of my favorite parts of the show. And I saw the show a week ago. It's today Frozen Day. Are you yeah, right? Frozen. It's so you, Frozen. You guys are freezing the show today. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. Uh, and but someone, and even I was talking to a good friend of mine. He was like, "Oh, my favorite part of the show was Josh's work." And I had loved talking to you the other day. How you said. But your experience being in the ensemble helped you create what this ensemble should be. So let's talk about Bright Star because it's uh, opening this week. Woo-hoo! Yes, it is. 
But again, I do think because we came from the world of the ensemble, we knew how sort of in past experience how it was successful and other times how it was less successful. But, um, you know, with Bright Star, it took us three years to really come in. It took, us <laughs> <laughs> it took us three years sort of to find out how they worked. And, and one of the first things that we found was the, the assembly of the train. And then that became sort of the the tipping point for how they could function in other ways and how they could be always be around and sort of be like a Greek chorus, but yet, you know, sort of be the fate of the show and push the story forward. Because um, it's not on the page, and it generally no. isn't on the page. And if you read the script of, of uh, Bright Star without mm -hmm. seeing it, you know, you might not think that there is even one, an, an ensemble, because every once yeah. in a while they'll sing something, but you'll be like, wait, are those the people? Are those people working in the office with her? Or who are those? Mm. Who are those people? Like, and so it became a challenge to sort of figure out how they functioned over three years. Yeah, we were given, we were blessed with time mm. with this mm. show. Three years. Of, three I mean, people years. think probably this shows happen overnight. Mm. They, mm. they just don't. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't. The shows are hard. It's it's hard to get all aspects on the same, uh, you know, at the same level. The story, the songs, the dancing, the direction, the set. It's 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 a long process. But we were given, the show had a reading. Uh, uh, years before we were a year before we were involved and then when we were involved there was a workshop a full workshop at uh, new 42 that's where we had the band unit and we found how the band is on stage and how to swirl that mm -hmm. around and how to use that uh, to emphasize our story points and then we like Lee said we found a few theatrical moments with the staging and we what we did is we keyed into that and said there's our show Mm. Now let's figure out how to put that into the rest of the show. It's like when you, it's like when a composer finds one good song and goes, "Okay, I know what it is now. That's our show." Uh, we found our, we found two points. We did bright, the song "Bright Star" and we did the the setting up of the train and the workshop, and then we knew that's our show. But even like what you do with the blanket and everything, I mean, it's so clever. That we sort of figured out in the workshop, and so we knew that that was our that, and then we thought, okay, now we got to go back. And so we went back, and in, when we got to do the show again in San Diego, a full production, and we we found the do right section where the, where they're running around the the family table, and we found more moments. Mm. We found the theatricality of the picnic with the lanterns. Mm -hmm. We found oh, that was beautiful too. Yeah, we found how to sort of enhance the romance, um, and yet keep the the character of the community around because two young kids having sex in 1927, the the villain in the scene is the community really because that's what is going to push them apart right. eventually so what I did is I had the community actually dancing around them with lanterns and even though it's beautiful it also is the tension in the room mm -hmm. um, so we found that and then we were able to then again do another production at the Kennedy Center this fall and so again we just kept enhancing and enhancing and in a show like this without a lot of like production numbers, but it all needs to be completely nuanced. They were very happy that the show feels like it has a texture to it, and it feels like every moment is tied to the next, and it's all tied to the story. And um, that's what we're very passionate about, is tying movement to story. Yeah, it was storytelling. Mm -hmm. And you could see certain members of the ensemble had characters th throughout, and there was something going on there that it wasn't just a production number. And that's what you felt like, oh, I'm seeing this town. Yeah, you know, and seeing these people, and you're seeing people watch and observe the show with an opinion, because uh, we have an incredible group of actors 
and we have incredible group of actors who don't usually serve ever serve as an ensemble. They, right. These people are principal players uh, in shows, and they are gracious enough to do this show for us. I mean, yeah. some of I just can't believe some of the people we have in our show. Well, how did it come about? Did Walter Bobby say, "Hey, Josh"? Remember me? I kicked you out of Chicago. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to work for me? <laughs> no. It was after I did First Date, Walter called me and said, I have an off-Broadway musical that um, John Kander just wrote called The Landing. And he said, um, I'm looking for a choreographer. It's not choreography. It just is musical staging, and we're going to do it at the Vineyard. Will you help me out? And I said, yes, John Kander. Come on. And that was a pure joy. And... Walter and I just, we knew each other from him being a director and me being a dancer, but we just got each other in rehearsal. He'd say something and he'd say, do you think you can help that out? And I was like, I think I can. And we just moved in tandem. We were always next to each other. And we were very proud of the way that show ended up. And we had a great relationship. But I remember when he called me, he said, oh, I'm out at New York Film and Stage and I'm doing a new musical that Steve Martin and Edie Brickell wrote. And I remember in the back of my head going, Ooh, I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he sent me the script and said, I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know who I'm going to hire. He was very aloof about the whole thing. <laughs> I could have killed him because we, we had just done, we just had a really great experience. You know, then he's like, well, I'm going to interview a lot of people. We're going to see what's happening. And I'm like, what? And I read the script. I remember I was in Seattle. I read the script. And I've never had this experience before. I read the script, and I hadn't even listened to the music. I read the script, and I said to Leah, I said, I'm doing this musical. I have to do this musical. I just had never read anything that was like this. And I didn't know how to do it either. It was a little terrifying. Mm. You, you read it, and you go, well, how the hell are we going to pull this off? Going from decade to decade, and the music being this beautiful bluegrass music that isn't like a normal Broadway score. Oh, it's it's gorgeous. It's not your new usual sort of like verse chorus. So uh, I met with Walter and he again was very aloof and just sat there <laughs> listening to me. And I told him to his face, I said, I'm doing this musical. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember he was like, he said, well, I'm gonna need somebody who's here all the time. And I remember at that time, I, um, I had to turn down another musical that would have been that's actually coming into Broadway this season. <laughs> but I uh, remember I had to turn it down, but I just felt something. I felt something in my bones about mm. Bright Star. Mm -hmm. And you get that sometimes with scripts and scores. You just get it and you don't know why. And it wasn't finished at that time. And, you know, it's a much better story even than it was then. But yeah, well, I it's just, original. It's actually it's original. an original it's musical. Original. I was just so excited to do something completely original where we didn't, you literally sit down in your seat and you don't know how it's going to end. Yeah. And I just think that's so refreshing. It's rare. Yeah. So Lee, uh, getting to know you, you're pretty outspoken, and, and, uh, and which, which I love uh, about you. How do you guys work together as a team? Because as a married couple, you guys work together great. But how does that translate into, you know, you, it's 24 hours a day with each other. It is, which can be a blessing and a curse in a way because you know, should inspiration hit at any time of the day, we can talk about it, which is kind of fun. But yeah. it can also be sort of like, it can overtake, you know, your 24 hours. Shut up already. <laughs> no, that's true. But um, we don't have a filter either. So like if I was working with somebody else, you're often worried about how they're going to perceive what you say or what you should say or how far you can push. And with Josh, I know I can just tell him, I think that could be better, and it won't 
hurt his feelings, or it might upset him. So but he thinks. <laughs> it, might ups- it might upset him, but he knows that I always have his best interest because, and he can also tell me, you know, that he doesn't agree. And the, the thing that can be sometimes tricky is to know that I'm always in a position. Right. <laughs> yes, that I'm always right. No, that, that I'm always in a, the, the way it has to work is that it has to be facilitating Josh because he has to be the one that, you know, is, is leading the room or is, is leading the charge. It has to still remain somebody's singular vision. In pre-production, you can have a whole bunch of dancers in the room, but it still has to come down to one person that's, you know, going to make the decision. Because um, it can't be by complete committee. Yeah. But the, because there's no filter, it's it, it sort of can lend itself to a quicker process sometimes. And look, there's no question that it there's a because of our intimacy and our relationship that there is also a, a shorthand mm. that's very helpful. But beyond all of that, though, on a larger, just strictly the business. There are things as a choreographer, director, that you lack. And so you need people around you who have skills that you don't have. And Lee has a lot of skills that I don't have. Right. And um, I feel like someone in a leadership position has to surround themselves with someone who will pick up the slack where your brain leaves off. And there are And without telling them to. Without telling they them, they just to. naturally do it. Yeah. And yeah. Lee has very different tastes than, than even though we're husbands, we we have just have different tastes. And so um, I I value that there's somebody around me who has a different take on most things, and uh, and I know that. And so that's why sometimes it's interesting to get his opinion, even if I don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. But I do like having it, and I also think he's very good at at certain things that are my weakness. Uh, he knows when to step in and make me look good. Uh, and I think that's really the key to having a good associate. More than the relationship, I think the key is just having someone who who has a point of view that enhances yours. I, I think that's great. I just recently talked to Sarah Glebe and, and Chris Bailey, and um, she was saying the same thing. When she is his associate, because they're also married, they have a shorthand and whatever, but she can also challenge him in a way that you wouldn't necessarily challenge someone else because they, they, they're associates for, for other people and it's sometimes you have to sort of know when to shut up because you know you have to be careful what right. you say. And with a husband or whatever, you can challenge them and sometimes bring another idea or spark an idea that leads somewhere else that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to censor quite so much, right. so you don't have to be as careful. Well, I think that's great, and then you don't go to bed angry. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, but here's the other thing that we have. We have, and now we're like, uh, we are fortunate, having been in the business a while, we have a, a log cabin in New Jersey that we escaped to. Nice. And it came, strangely, at the most perfect time when we started to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have a place that we believe is like the safe zone. We go there and we don't talk about the business. We go there and just veg. He builds a fire, I cook, he putters, he works out on the lawn, all garden or whatever it is. I lit the backyard on fire the other day. (laughs) Huge, (laughs) giant patch of burnt. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah. 
that's that's another story for another podcast. <laughs> um, but we do have a, a place where we go away to and say, shut the hell up yes. about the business and and be a couple again, as opposed to an associate choreographer conglomeration. Oh, that's amazing. If uh, each one of you could pick a career highlight up to now, uh, what would it be? Or just one? I love that you got your bucket list. I got it, yeah. yeah. The Macy's Day Parade is pretty cool. It is cool, and I had to fight for that one, which I, I was telling that story the other day, that I was in Wonderful Town, and Wonderful Town was going to do the parade, and um, I was a swing at the time, and I said to the guys in the dressing room, I said, hey, if anybody doesn't want to do the parade, I'm happy to like give you whatever they're going to pay me, so you can sit at home and have your little cinnamon roll morning, and I can go dance in the parade, and there was a really nice guy that had done it a bunch of times, he's like, yeah, if you want to do it that bad, I'll let you do it. So I actually bought my way into it the first time. And then the year of Cinderella. Cinderella was performing on it and Elf was performing on it. So I went and performed in Elf, got changed in the bus, and then came running back right down the street to where Cinderella was and then got to watch Cinderella perform. So it was it was kind of a, a uh, that was a cool day. You're running I on kinda, all cylinders. I was, yes. both sides, it was cool. Yeah. I just picked that one for you. I don't know no. if that was yours. I'm trying, to think, I'm trying to think of another one that was like a huge... Doing the Tony Awards was a huge highlight for me. Do you know how um, we got to do the Tony Awards? No. Uh, we were we choreographed Company that was the Neil Patrick Harris, Patti LuPone, Stephen oh, Colbert, yes. like all celebrity. Yes. Uh, and it was just, they uh, wanted us to perform on the Tonys. And we put that together and Craig Bierko got a movie and he couldn't do it. And we were like, oh God, oh, who are we gonna, we went through all this casting and Lonnie Price went, wait a minute, we're just gonna have Lee do it. And I said, oh my God, he's going to love you forever. Mm -hmm. And I remember the day Lonnie went up to you and said, Lee, we're gonna have you perform on the Tonys. And Lee was like, uh, your face was so cute. I was in Pax crying. You started to cry. <laughs> you started to cry, because it's like, you know, that's his childhood dream to oh. perform on the Tonys. And he performed with, Patty Friggin' LuPone, yeah, absolutely. Christina Hendricks, and, and this like the most nuts. insane cast, that insane cast of celebrities, and Lee Wilkins. Oh, right? I love it. It was cool. I love it. How about you, yeah. Josh? My career highlights were Fosse, no question. Uh, performing, uh, I still have like fond memories of performing Dancing Man uh, with uh. my boater hat. Uh, those, that's my career highlight. I think my other career highlight was Cinderella. Yeah. Mm. There was a there was a big deal being a first Broadway show, and um, I, there was a lot of my heart up there. There was a lot of, of me up in that mm -hmm. show, uh, up on that stage. And uh, I still, when I go see it, uh, the tour, and, uh, it always moves me, because I just think I just, uh, being the first time choreographing on Broadway, I, I really tried my best to just get up there. And, like Lee said, <laughs> sometimes I'm swinging too hard and I missed the ball, but I really was, Swinging to to make the show great, and uh, I'm very proud of it. Still oh, you should be. Yours. I love it. What's mine? Yeah. Um, I think the first time I went on for Patsy with yeah. Oh, with, uh, that is a good one. With uh, Tim Curry, and then coming to the dressing room and there being flowers from Michael McGraw, there saying, "Have a great show." I mean, amazing. that was amazing. Like going on for my idol, getting flowers yeah. from him, and then opposite Tim Curry, and like he kissed me on the mouth, and I was like. <laughs> At the end of the show. Wait, Tim Curry did? Kim Curry did, not okay. Michael McGraw. No, Tim Curry did. <laughs> so that would probably be probably be mine. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. So if you guys could pick a song to I end this podcast on, what would it be? I would say the tune Bright Star. I listened to it the other day when we recorded it. And I sat down the first time they uh, made a pass. 
it was the, the the band track was already down and the cast got in there and they sang it and they sang it perfectly the first time through and I was in the recording studio with the great Peter Asher and I was standing in the back and it ended and I screamed I went now who wouldn't want that in their car and everyone turned around <laughs> everyone turned around because it was like a complete outburst that was sort of out of control but I really was having a moment and he and they all went what I said who's not gonna want to play that in their car full blast and they just started laughing because I was like it was such a it just came out so beautifully and to hear the tune without the staging I thought oh my god this is a great song yeah it's like you hear them all the time here and like you know when you do a show you hear everything too much you watch it every day so oh, it's right. just great to hear it out of context and I thought this is gonna be a killer cast album yeah, yeah. it's great music and you know they recorded it. They did the band tracks Sunday. Then the cast came in Monday and Tuesday. Where normally it's like after opening night on your first day off, you go in and you all record for one day. Right. That's, that's it. That you get one day. And because it was Peter Asher and and Stephen Eady had a specific vision for the for the cast recording, they wanted it to take longer to do it. They needed more time. Yeah. And so we were blessed with you know having that ability to like you know spend more time in the studio and get it the way they wanted it. And then because Peter's so busy, they actually had to like finish the album in a couple of days. So it's already done. Oh, it is? Yeah, and, and they're pushing to get it out because they're like, well, why aren't we releasing it? We should release it now. Yeah. They're, they live in a different world because they come from that whole Grammy Award winning recording artist thing where they go in and they record their stuff and they're like, when it's done, they release it. Like, it's, why right. would you wait? Yeah. So, it's, so it just sometimes doesn't make sense to them. But um, it's going to be a great album because... It's produced by, a, you know, Peter Asher's a famous, famous record producer. Yeah. They're Grammy Award winning artists, and they wrote a great score. So, it, And it, we have incredible talent like Carmen Cusick singing those songs. I know. I have a song. Oh, no. I have a song. Yes. This is what we used in pre-production for Bright Star. Bob, yes! The great Bob oh, Wills. This is a great this song. This is our favorite. <laughs> we, we were able to sort of investigate a lot of, like, early bluegrass and we listened to a lot of bluegrass from the 20s and we watched a lot of Appalachian dancing like Appalachian flatfoot dancing is amazing um, we have as we have a little bit of it peppered throughout our, our show you know that the great thing about musical theater is it's based on history most of it right so you it's fun to be a historian for a while before you start creating and we were we also have a number in act two that takes place in the 40s and they wanted us to do, and I thought, 40s, I think of like typical big band swing. Right. But there was a thing called Texas Swing in the 40s. There was, there was music that was completely country that was considered swing at the time. And so we investigated, and there's this man named Bob Wills who was the master of that. And we became obsessed with this song. We choreographed the, the second act number. We choreographed the vocabulary for it on this song. Um, it's, well, I will get it's it. It's become one of our favorites. It's awesome. Well, I can't and wait. And the lyric. The lyrics. Awesome. You just have to love the lyrics. Perfect. Well, thank you guys very much. You guys are the best. Happy opening and thank everything. You. Thank you. All gather around, friends. Why hurry? Let's all stay a little longer. You 
ought to see my blue-eyed Sally. She lives away down on Shinbone Alley. The number on the gate, the number on the door, and the next house over is a grocery store. Stay all night, stay a little longer. Dance all night, dance a little longer. Pull off your coat, throw it in the corner. Don't see why you don't stay a little longer. Washed out at the bottom of the hill Right, the big Tommy. creek's up and the big creek's level Apply my corn with the double shovel Stay all night, stay a little longer Dance all night, dance a little longer Pull off the coat, throw it in the corner Don't see why you don't stay a little longer Sitting in the window, singing to my love, the slop bucket fell from the window above. Mule and the grasshopper eating ice cream. Mule got sick and the lady moaned the bean. Stay all night, stay a little longer. Dance all night, dance a little longer. Pull off your coat, throw it in the corner. Don't see why you don't stay a little longer. Your gal and pat her on the head If she don't like biscuits, feed her cornbread The girls on the big creek about half grown They jump on a man like a dog on a bone Stay all night, stay a little longer Dance all night, dance a little longer Pull off your coat, throw it in the corner Don't see why you don't stay a little longer Stay all night, stay a little longer Dance all night, dance a little longer Pull off your coat, throw it in the corner Don't see why you don't stay a little longer